0: Good morning. This is Friday, August 25th, 2023. So, I just finished my salary cap hockey draft last night. Um, we did 26 rounds, and I got most everybody that I wanted. Uh, this was the main draft portion of it. Um, we have... Twenty Minor League spots That need to be filled That is currently ongoing Also via slow draft uh, My pick, pick 8 In the rookie draft Will be coming up here This morning sometime I'm two picks away I think they're at pick 6 of Yeah, pick 6 of 18 In the first round Of this minor league And the way that I've constructed My main roster for now is that I've got four centers, four left wings, four right wings, and six defensive players on my starting lineup. I also have two goalies. As for my bench, I have, for the moment, this is unique, I will give you the breakdown and then what's going to happen next. I have one center, Two players that qualify a left wing and right wing for for roster flexibility. I have one player at right wing that's going to either A go on injured reserve or B get cut. And then I've got one defensive player to swap out and I've got one goalie in reserve. So that is 20 starting positions and six bench positions. The way that I got to my roster was that I looked at their projected points and their age and their cap construction. So not only how much are they getting paid this year, but how long their contract goes on for. Players that are cheaper on longer contracts are very valuable. Players on expensive but short contracts Can also be valuable but in a different way, in a very trade chip kind of way. In the NHL you try and maximize your cap reserves on a given year. If you have a player that is highly paid but on a very short contract you can attempt to move them to get cap relief so you can sign other players on your team. Same principle applies to fantasy hockey. As my players age up and sign new contracts, I need to fit them under the new theoretical salary cap. One of the ways to do that is I can cut players and take a penalty. If they have signed at $5 million a year for two years, I can either take all $10 million in one year so I can save my money for that second year. Or I can take a 35% hit each year. On this team, I don't think I will need to do that. I've constructed it in such a way that I shouldn't need to do that. If I get in trouble, it's only because of this particular year. But I have left myself $6 million in cap space right now. 6.4 million dollars and that number will change. The player that is injured is currently eating up 8 million dollars worth of space. Jakub Voracek out of Arizona. The uniqueness of this draft is normally because the uniqueness of the draft is purely because we are doing a startup on this league if the, if we were drafting for the second year for this salary cap dynasty league then we would only have a minors draft but because we had to fill out our main roster first the first 18 to 20 picks are pretty solid they will stay on our team players everything beyond that are pretty a pretty much a hodgepodge of players that you are interested in, players that slip through the cracks, and players you're just using to fill out the roster, like the last pick and second to last pick for that matter. I know two in particular are going, I will probably have a third. Voracek is going to either go on injured reserved or get cut. We are going to do this with no penalty before the start of the season. Afterwards, all salary cap rules will apply. Another player I am going to drop, my second to last pick, Daniel Vladar. He is currently the backup goalie in Calgary. He actually has some intrinsic value, unlike some other late round picks. Jacob Markstrom had a very down year last year his numbers regressed from the 2021-2022 season when he had 7 shutouts, posted a goals average against under 3, and had over 30 wins. This year, he struggled to a win total in the low 20s. His goals saved above average of 3 Uh, of above three, well above three, and his save percentage was below 900. For a good goalie, you want to see that at 910. At 900, you are all right, but struggling. Anything below 900 is very not good, and I believe he finished with an 889. Because... Markstrom has such a high cap number they will keep him on the team, but Dan Vladar is on a cheaper contract. He is signed for 2.2 million this year and 2.2 million next year. Those are affordable numbers for me to use. I could keep him on my team as a third goalie if I choose in the rookie draft to go very young and take a prospect that won't be up in the majors until after 2024-2025. So, how do I plan for this rookie draft? Well, in a lot of ways, the same way that I planned for the major major league draft. Actually, you know what, let me take a step back. I said there were three players, and I gave you two. The third player was Blake Coleman. He's a left-wing and right-wing, one of those dual-eligibility players I was talking about from my bench. He is on the hook the next four years at $4.9 million. Well, if he was a good player like Alex Tuck, that would be acceptable. But Blake Coleman is four years older than Alex Tuck and a significantly less- advantageous team Coleman is on the Flames versus Tuck being on the Sabres and Coleman has one more year when Coleman is done with this contract he will be 35 years old I don't want to see a 35 year old player who's probably almost out of the league eating up 4.9 million dollars even if The cap is supposed to be at least $15 million higher then than it is now. So, those are three players. Jakub Voracek, Daniel Vladar, and Blake Coleman, who are probably going to get the axe at the beginning of the year. If I don't drop Vladar, there is always someone else that I can move. There's always a defensive player like Brendan Dillon out of Winnipeg, that was one of my late selections. He is the first defensive player off my bench. I could choose to drop him and run with a defensive player that is minors eligible. What that would create for my team is the ability to move him between the minors and the majors depending uh, between my minor league roster and my main roster. In order to maximize games played and points produced. So while I have gone over salaries, I need to go over why I think those salaries are valuable. One of the things I've looked at is that because this is a points league, I cannot look at any one category. But I need I tend to hyper focus the ADHD portion of this podcast on certain pieces. I tend to focus on shots on goal SOG. The higher the shots on goal the more likely the person the player is to score a goal or have an assist. If I use those as a base metric I have a very good baseline or floor for Player projection. One of the things I look for on the defensive player in particular is I look at hits and blocks. I am not as good at spotting offensive talent in defensive players. The difference between a 10, 20, and even 25 or 30 point defensive player is very hard for me. They all look the same. So I look at hits and blocks for defensive players to give me a baseline there. And because of this, defensive players will n- normally score fewer points on average than the forwards, than the forward bunch, your centers, left wings, and right wings. So, with a combination of looking at hits and blocks for defensive players and shots on goal for offensive players, I now I will now go sort by projected points and then compare players on where they are expected to line up on their teams uh, on their teams top 6 or bottom 6 during the year. If I am looking for a tiebreaker, I am looking for a player on the first line or the second line over a player on the third line or fourth line. Your first and second lines will be your scoring lines. So I will pull up capfriendly.com. C-A-P-F-R-I-E-N-D-L-Y.com. I will use them for the salary cap numbers. And I will use them for the statistical numbers, even though Fantrax is very nice to give me them on my page. It's nice to look at players on their team relative to their fellow linesmen. Are they scoring more or less points than their linesmen? Are they hot or cold relative to their linesmen? I can look at them easier that way. So if I see a player is scoring high, but is on the third line, I need to see their peripherals. If they have a high hits per game, then it's okay that they are on the third line and doing what they are doing. Maybe I want that. Maybe I need a little more baseline. I don't want a high ceiling. I want a high floor. I need a minimum to beat another team, not a maximum. I don't want to go out and have somebody give a... Oh, Lord, there was a something lap. I will look that up for next one. I don't want the... Cardio session. Heh <laughs> ADHD. Uh, I don't want them to give a cardio session where they score zero points, which means they couldn't bother to give a hit, couldn't bother to give a block, and, while rare, but also possible, not have a shot on goal so i am so for the rookie portion of it this is where it really goes off the rails because it, the minors eligibility in this league is 100 for minors and 101 games played in the NHL to be considered majors That leaves a wide swath of very young, very talented players that are going to play this year. That is actually one of the reasons why they're allowing us penalty-free cuts before the season in order for us to get our roster constructed exactly the way we want. So there will be good players, young players, cheap players, and old players and expensive players available right before the season starts for me to sign in case anybody gets uh, uh gets put on season ending injured reserve. As of right now, the five picks oh, I am pick eight. I'm sorry. Um of the first five picks, there is Connor Bedard, who will play this year for Chicago, and who is one of the best projected players in the last 15 years. Matt B. (laughs) Michikov, the right wing out of Russia. You have Adam Fantilli, who played at Michigan in college. You have Logan Cooley, who went through the national uh, player development team. And you have Matty Beneers. Four of these five players will play this year in the NHL. Michikov will not. He will probably not be to the United States for at least two years minimum, but most likely won't be here till 2026. He will be, you know, more or less 21, 22 before he comes over in a very similar way that Kapril Kaprizov, who plays winger for the Minnesota Wild, did. He signed when he was young, or he got drafted when he was young, took him a couple years to come over, and... He hit the ground running. And he is a fantastic player. They are talking about Minchikov being one of the top two, top three best talents in the entire draft this year that apparently was riffed with generational talent. So because I have all my roster spots set, my average team age is 28, 28 because I have three players that are like 35-plus right now, I have a youngish team. I don't necessarily need to draft play-now players. I went for decent upside, young players, on not too many long-term contracts already. Therefore, I don't need to sit there and immediately go for long-term prospects. Not at the beginning. I can be like well I would like to shore up my center or I would like to shore up my goalie. I have players that I would like to take this year and then I can come back like 20 picks later, 22 picks later and pick the next player. After the top two rounds it will go from they're going to make a high impact this year to they will make an impact this year. And then beyond that after probably three or four, it will drop out. And I will start getting into the, well, he may show up this year at some point. And then he's a year away. He's two years away. And then we're going to start throwing darts at different players. Okay, he got drafted, but he had only a point per game in the AHL. Or he got drafted, but he's in the WHL because he's so young. And he won't hit the NHL for two more years, three more years, or oh this player got drafted, and immediately got returned to the OHL, playing play in the Ontario Hockey League. Oh, this guy's playing in Sweden, this guy is playing in Finland, this is this team is this guy is playing in the Slo- the Slovak leagues. Someone's playing in the KHL, hell. Someone could play in the MHL. The the MHL is like the Russian version of the AHL. It's like their second tier league. Out there. So I will look at stats throughout the year. I will look at stats right now. But right now, currently, I am looking at projections that Fantrax has provided. And I will compare that versus where they're projected to be in the lineup. Maybe Fantrax overrates somebody. Maybe they underrate somebody. Maybe I need to take a backup that I know is going to get top line or top power play run. Because the person at the top is a band aid boy, someone who gets injured constantly and frequently. I want a player that could step in. All he needs is like a five game audition in a role for it to be his. Therefore, if the players above you average 65 games played out of 82 during the year, there's a shot that you can take one of those roles and run with it. So, sometimes third line players, fourth line players have opportunity. So, with that said, it is only a six person bench, and those minors eligible players that can float between the main roster and the minors become extremely important and extremely valuable. So,. As of right now, I'm not as concerned about the salaries for the miners. There are a couple players that have significant salaries in the minors, but not too many. As of right now, Andre Kuzmenko is making $5.5 million. He's a left-wing, right-wing for Vancouver. He played 81 games last year. That means during the course of this year, he is going to fully vest as as a major leagues only player. He will not be eligible for my minor league roster. His contract length I thought I had that up. The contract length for Kuzmenko is he signed for this year and next year at 5.5 million. And at twenty seven years old, that's not a bad thing. He will only be he will turn 30 essentially in the last year of that contract that's a player that when the contract ends i can let go i don't have to worry about him being signed to 8 million dollars at 30 years at 29 sorry i looked at the wrong line yeah at 30 years old in 2025 2026 that i don't got to worry about that so at some point late next year i can use him as a bargaining chip I have this player on an expiring contract. I am out of the playoffs. Would you like him for an exchange? I will trade up in the draft a round if you were to take this player off my hands. That gives me salary cap relief. That adds to their salary. They get a player for the stretch run. But that also depends on how he's playing. If he's playing like trash, then I'll just have to sit on him, eat him for three months, and then drop him without penalty. That, that's also the nice thing about this league. I am not engaged on a player from now till eternity. It is my choice when their contract runs out and before the new one is applied that I can choose to drop them. Like, f- for example, since I have the Vancouver page up, let's say if I had Elias Pedersen. His contract currently runs out after this year. He's not going to be a free agent, he's not going to retire, he's not going to fly off to somewhere in Europe. He is going to sign a new contract, probably for a good chunk of change, like $11 million a year. If I don't want to afford the extra $4 million it's going to cost me next year, I have the option of cutting Pedersen loose. Well, Pedersen is one of the top 20 players in the league, and I would never ever do that, in the hypothetical It is possible for me to let him go to free agency and let someone else pick up that contract at 11 million dollars. That will be their prerogative. The following off the the offs uh when it comes to the off season. So, just to give a rundown of the roster itself, I'll go read this off my spreadsheet. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I've got a spreadsheet that sets up everything. I, I, I know I said something about it on a previous podcast. A lot of my podcasts are focusing on this because it's currently ongoing. Um, but I've got Tage Thompson from Buffalo. He is currently eligible at center. I have Alex Tuck, who's eligible at right wing and left wing. Both of them are from Buffalo. And people were cracking jokes the entire time after I had picked back-to-back Buffalo guys in the middle of the round. Someone picked a Buffalo player at the pick before mine in the third round. And I had to just throw out as a joke in the middle of group chat. I'm like, hey, look, just because I took two Buffalo players doesn't mean I need to take a third one. But so help me, you took the guy I was looking at. And everybody apparently thought it was funny as shit. So, Tage Thompson is playing top-line role in Buffalo. Alex Tuck is playing second-line. But the guy above him on the first line is, like, 31 years old. So it's possible he plays on the top-line. Who knows? I have Matthew Boldy. He is the jewel on my team. He is 22 years old. He plays both left-wing and right-wing for Minnesota. He is locked in at $7 million for the next forever. I think it was a 7 by. 6 either a seven by six or a seven by seven contract so he's stuck at seven million dollars while his value goes way off the chart he'll be worth he will be worth 13 million dollars sooner rather than later so i will have great value in that pick I have Zach Hyman one of my riskier picks at round four but i was kind of playing for this year with this pick <clears throat> he is 31 years old he did just come off a career year. He is signed at $5.5 million for the next five years. That puts him at 36 years old at the end of his contract. If he does not perform this year, I will see if I can cut bait and see if somebody will move him for a draft pick. That would be awesome to have a straight-up draft pick for him. I will probably not get that considering there is still another $22 million owed to him for the four years after this year. So I will play it by ear and see what this year and next year brings. Maybe a 33-year-old with $5.5 million left over three years is someone that I can move. Who knows? But because he plays in Edmonton and has a chance to play next to uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, gives him intrinsic value that may allow me to get out from under his contract. Then I go Jeremy Swayman goalie from Boston. He is 24. He was one of the top goalie prospects at one point, and he did really good sharing time with uh, Linus Olmark. And Olmark's got like six years on him. I believe Olmark is almost 30 years old. Swayman is on a one-year deal they just negotiated. He finished his entry-level contract, went to arbitration, and was awarded a $3.4 million contract. Which means he's going he's up for at least a two year bridge deal, which will probably bring him close to five or six million dollars, if not a little bit more. So I have factored that in. I have one I have this year's salary, I have next year's salary, I've got twenty twenty five, the 2026, 2027, and 28, 20, 2028 seasons worth of salary up on here. I like to have a six-year list, the current plus five further, so I have an idea of how to space out these contracts. If someone gets a new contract, I want to be able to put it in and see if I can afford to hold them. If someone wants to trade me, I would like to know what their upcoming value is. Maybe they're an older player signing for cheaper, so I can sell them at a different rate than an older player having a very expensive contract. So Swayman is due for is at one year and is due for a two-year bridge and then a substantial contract after that. But we'll see what happens in this offseason. I have Devin Hayes at defense, 29 years old out of Colorado. Normally you don't want your top defensive player to be a backup defensive player. But Hayes is in a unique position. He is signed at a one-year deal for $4.1 million dollars he will be eligible for something approaching 6 to $8 million per year on his next contract. The question is whether Colorado is going to pay him that, whether he is going to get paid that by another team in free agency. Maybe he gets traded during the year. Who knows? But odds are pretty good that he's not going to be worth only $4.1 million next year. So I can use him as trade bait if word comes out during the season, before the trade deadline, that he's going to sign a fat contract. If he does it and he signs for cheap, then it's debatable whether I can trade him or not. He's not going to be the top guy with Cole McCarr sitting there in Colorado. He's just not. I've got Brandon Hagel. Case in point about signing contract extensions. Brandon Hagel. Good, young player for Tampa Bay. He put up like 60 points last year for him. So to a, He is on his last year of his current contract at $1.5 million. He is cheap, he is affordable, and he allowed me to screw around in the back end of the draft with some players that I probably shouldn't have. Next year, his, his cap hit jumps $5 million. He will be worth $6.5 million, I believe he signed that for 7 years, 8 years. So I've got him from for for from now till forever. I have a stable contract. I could also move him. I uh and Hagel's probably going to play second line role with Tampa. And I got David Perron from Detroit. I he's thirty five, he's signed to a four point seven million dollar contract. If he gets re signed, he will not be signed at that cap level at four point seven five. Odds are pretty good he's going to sign for less. As of right now, he's the top right wing on the team. It's possible he gets passed by Lucas Raymond this year. Maybe they take JT Comfort off the second line and put him on the first line. Who knows? There's a lot of different ways they can go with this, but he is definitely the old man on that team. But if I don't want him, I can walk away from that 4.7 million, $4.75 million and use that money towards someone else. Maybe I want to bring up a rookie and allow that money to go toward Brandon Hagel instead. But we'll see. Maybe I can take on a giant contract later. Like one of the one of those mythical large hit, large cap hit, but short duration contracts, and see if I can, you know, work something like that. So just to speed this up, because I know we're getting past 30 minutes now. In fact, we are just past 30 minutes. Sweet. Okay. So I've got Pavel Zaka out of Boston. Their top line center retired. Their next guy isn't there. Pava Zaka essentially elevates from line 3 to line 1 because Boston has not done a good job trying to maintain center depth in their system. In fact, Boston has been really bad about prospects in general. They normally trade them and draft picks away to maintain players on their team. But Zaka is at a fantastic, fantastic value. He is 26 years old. He's going to play on the top line with one of the top 10 players on one side of him and one of the top 40 players on the other side of him. He is going to do a fantastic job this year. He has a high floor. He has a low ceiling because he doesn't have the talent of other centers in the league, but his floor will be high enough that I will be comfortable with him being, you know, like my second center on this team. That's fine. I can live with that. 26 years old, He's got four years, have 4.75 million left. That's a deal, because he will probably be the center for that long, and then the wheels will haul off in Boston with everyone else. So that, that's an amazing deal. I honestly think he's the best deal in the draft that I got. Hegel got picked early because he was cheap this year. Zaka got picked because they just know he's not as talented as other people. But sometimes all you need is opportunity. I have Victor Ardvidson with my 10th pick out of the Kings. He is 30 years old. That's right on the edge of do you really want to re-sign him or not. L.A. is stacked this year. He is supposed to be the first line, I believe, left wing for them. Cap Friendly says second line right wing. Same difference. Yes, Anze Kopitar would be awesome, and Adrian Kempe would be cool, but that's okay to have Kevin Fiala and Pierre-Luc Dubois as your backups. So he's still going to get 17-ish minutes a game, but his play- his compadres will be better than last than last year. He paced at .77 points per game, 59 and 77. I easily see him hitting 70 and 82 if he's healthy. He won't hit point per game, but he sure as hell will have his shit pickup. So he's on a one year deal. He becomes a player that I will listen to at the end of the year. If if my team is falling out because they are underperforming, I can flip him to another team. LA is supposed to have one of the best offenses this year. Victor Arvinson can go to someone else, and I will just have four more million dollars to spend next year. Like I said. You can trade players away at the end of the year, like in regular, uh, like you're playing the GM on Madden to pick up cap space to sign other players. Oh, they got dropped. Or, oh, this person's going to be in a salary cap crunch. Let me take them off your hands for minimal value, and, you know, it'll help my team next year. And, you know, I'll just be the Arizona Coyotes. I'll collect players and draft picks, and everyone else can just. Deal with it in four years. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Okay. So Neil Pionk he's gonna be second pairing D out there because Morrissey isn't gonna go anywhere, and they're gonna pair a defensive minded player with Morrissey. So Pionk will probably get second line or second pairing, probably with Brandon Dillon, who I selected in the twenty second round. Um Pionk 28 at 5.875. Pionk does enough defense that he has good defensive numbers, fantasy-wise. And he has just enough on offense to justify getting picked in the 11th round. I don't want to pay $5.8 million. In fact, I think he is my, my most expensive defensive player, to be honest. I'm looking up and down my lineup. I kind of didn't realize that until right now. That's kind of funny. But two years at 5.8, and he'll be 30 when it's over. That's okay. Defensive players, if they do it right, can play very effectively into their mid thirties. Next, I have Dominique Kubelik, who was buried on the Detroit death chart until he got traded to Ottawa in the offseason. So, Kubalik, a lot of people have pegged for the third line. I don't. I haven't pegged for a second-line role. The third line in Ottawa this year will most assuredly be better than the second line in Detroit last year. As of right now, Cap Friendly has him projected for the left wing on the third line, but he is paired up with Shane Pinto, who's no slouch himself. But you are looking at Josh Norris trying to come back from injury, and if he doesn't, the options are Shane Pinto to move up or Claude Giroux to move over. If Drew moves over to center, then Kubelik moves up to the second line, in which case his value gets a bump. But Kubelik scored at better than half point per game at a hair under 15 minutes time on ice. In Detroit, I will definitely take the Ottawa third line over the Detroit third line, or whatever Kubelik was playing there last year. So, like, his value right now at $2.5 million just for this year, I will take that and then, like I said, Archison doesn't work out. That's four and a half million dollars I can put toward Cuba League Devontae's cost too much. Trade him. I will pick up some money there. David Perron. Perron retires in Detroit. There's 4.7 to put toward my team. It's like it. It makes sense to me to organize numbers. That's kind of why I got into. I wanted to try a salary cap league. I tried to jump in last year, but because it was an established league, it was hard for me to wrap around the league's rules that I wasn't organically watching evolve. So when this league, this opportunity came up from this podcast Discord that I'm in, I decided to hop on it. I'm like, sure, I will try it out. If it doesn't work this year, I will tell you guys, you know, it didn't work. It's too much effort. But I'm actually having far more fun with this league right now than I am with my other leagues. But, you know, it could be ADHD's hyper-focus. This is amazing because I'm putting 100% of my energy toward it. Maybe it doesn't become because maybe it doesn't become fun because I'm taking 100% of my energy toward it. Maybe I find other fun things like fantasy football that's starting up this weekend or, you know, my other hockey teams that You know, I'm not worrying about on Yahoo right now. Then, back to the team, I have Scott Lawton, who can play center and left wing. (coughs) He is most likely going to be, like, the second line of center out in Philly. (coughs) He is currently pegged for the third line left wing right now, but... We'll see about that. Lawton was one of those questionable picks I made in the middle of the draft. He looks all right. $3 million right now isn't too bad. My average per player is $4.2 million, and that includes a guy that's going to be on injured reserve at $8 million, which will leave me like $14.5 million before I start screwing around with rookies to play with this year, let alone next year. So Lawton can sit on my team And it'll be alright. If I want to cut him to get the roster spot, I have the money to afford the penalty. I can take a $9 million penalty at the end of this year and just say, I'll deal with it, and then just sit on him. I'll I'll have the cap space. That's kind of the perk of picking some of these low-contract guys. If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. If it does, you'll just roll the non-workable contracts into that. So Lawton had to play a high role for Philly last year because everybody was injured. Couturier was injured and came back late. Uh, Atkinson, oh, Couturier didn't even play last year, excuse me. Couturier didn't play last year, Atkinson didn't play last year, but uh, Kevin Hayes played a lot of the year as top-line center, and then when Hayes fell out, uh, Lawton played top-line center. So Lawton's numbers are going to regress. But like I said, $3 million didn't seem too bad at the time. At 13th round, I'm probably going to regret that pick. But it's not like it's a bad pick. Usually you're trending toward your dark throws anyway in your normal draft. This is an 18-teamer. This is not like I'm 12 12 teams with like a 20-man roster. So it's not like I'm trying to scrape the barrel for the end of my, my roster. This is the middle of a team, so it is going to be just a hair thin. The question is just how you construct the team. Uh, next player, Alexander Barabanov, also 29, but only on a one-year, $2.5 million contract. He will probably earn $5 million with his next contract. And personally, I think he's going to be top-line winger for San Jose. I actually picked him up in one of my Dynasty Leagues on Yahoo because someone somehow dropped Barabanov at the end of the year. Don't know why, but, I mean, outside of Tomas Hurdle and Logan Couture, there's not a lot of talent. Hoffman comes over, Mike Hoffman comes over from Montreal, doesn't really score a lot of points. He shoots, but he doesn't score a lot of points. Anthony Duclair hasn't been able to stay healthy in the last three to four years. There's a reason why I traded him away after his... It was like 30-something points in 40-something games three years ago. And I took and moved him, and everyone was like, what the hell is your problem? Duclair is 24 years old and played an injured season. You should keep him? And I'm like, no, I want to move him. No one's talking about him hotly in the major leagues, and I can use him to move pieces around to get who I do want. In fact, the team that team that I took over that I traded Duclair from... I believe I only had ten players out of the thirty that came to me. Like I moved a lot of people around because there were categories I wanted to focus on. <clears throat> some moves worked out, some moves didn't work out. I made a trade. I picked up Jesper Brad. I dropped Brad after two weeks because he hadn't performed in the NHL yet. Now he's now he's a point per game playing probably on the top line in New Jersey. I missed on that one. But I traded Jack Eichel and a, no-name defense, uh, and a no-name goalie, who was a hot prospect at the time, for Brady Kachuk. And all of a sudden, Brady Kachuk is one of the best players in the league. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. I lost Jacob Truba and Noah Dobson, but I did pick up Jamie Benn on a career year this year. I mean, I flipped Phillips Forsberg. He was injured for most of the year. I've got Drake Batherson back. I mean, like, like I said, you win some, you lose some. And people drop players throughout the year. Barabanov happened to be a player this year that I picked up. I will keep him. Last year, it was Gustav Forsling, who I flipped at the beginning of the following year. <clears throat> and look at him. Forsling will now run the power play for the first month of the season before Ekblad comes back, and then Brandon Montour will take over. So, like I said, you win some, you lose some. Okay, back to my current... I am looking at Samuel Gerard, who plays D also for Colorado. So my top D is the second best D for the Avalanche. My third D is the fourth best. (laughs) The third best, fourth best D for Colorado, which is probably not a good idea. But We'll, we'll see what kind of residual value he has. He has some offensive potential. So if McCart goes down again, Gerard and Taves' value go up. Gerard is 25 years old. He's got four more years at $5 million each. Not bad at 25. And like I said, the way I've got this team built, I can afford it. I can eat part of that contract, especially if it doesn't work out. That's why I left so much money available. Next is Mario Ferraro. Now, I picked him in the 16th round. He is 24 years old. He's got three years at $3.2 million. He might be a better value pick than Zaka, which is saying something because Zaka is going to be top center in Boston. There is nobody left in San Jose to run the power play. Carlson did it for years. You had Brent Burns before him. They have no defensive talent. Everyone else is a defensive, defensive player. Ferraro could run top D, top power play, which may not mean much, but having 15 power play points means that's 15 points that you're scoring, which means you're probably going to be on pace for a 30 to 40 point season. I can get behind that, especially as my fourth D in this lineup. And at 3.2, I will take the value that's there. So round 17 is where it gets really, really dicey. I took Evgeny Kuznetsov. He is supposed to be the second center in Washington. There's a chance that he could play with Ovechkin on the top line. That's what Cap Friendly has him set for. Nicholas Backstrom is still there. If he's healthy, Backstrom might be top line guy. Dylan Strom is also there, and Younger. But Kutsnetsov has that connection with Ovechkin, like I said. Excuse me? Unfortunately, Kutsnetsov has also been in a contract dispute with the Washington Capitals. So, Kutsnetsov is signed for the next two years at 7.8, which is a little risky for a 31-year-old center. Especially one that is feuding with their front office. But if he gets his act, act together and people around him stay healthy and he stays on the top line, he will make seven point eight million he will produce seven point eight million dollars worth of potential or worth of fantasy points in the seventeenth round. Now, that's effectively my third or fourth center, depending on how you look at it, because Lawton qualifies at center. Um next, I've only la- listed one goalie in my top 16 picks. I need to have another goalie somewhere. So this is one that could also get dropped. I have Simeon Varlamov. He is the backup goalie for the Islanders. Um Ilya Sorokin isn't going anywhere. He's one of the top 5 goalies in the league. He's also probably going to pace for 60 plus starts, which means Varlamov is probably capped at maybe 20, 25. The other issue is that Varlamov is signed for 4 years at $2.75 million. He will probably not be playing in the NHL by the end of this contract. So I either have 2.75 that I can eat for a couple years. I can take a effectively like a 1 million a year penalty for 4 years. To get out and therefore free up $1.75 million worth of cap. Or. I can try and trade him. He is on a cheap contract. I can move him. But like I said at the beginning. He is 35 years old. That gets really dicey for NHL players. Hell it gets dicey for players in any sport. In baseball you're on your way out the door. In the NFL. You better be a kicker or a punter. In basketball, you better be LeBron James. So we'll see what happens. He may retire. I may get out from under that contract in a couple years. That will free up 2.75. Like I said, this is what I've looked at. I don't have a lot of players at high value. Tage Thompson, Matthew Boulder are kind of it. Brandon Hagel starting next year will be another. Hagel might be the worst contract on my team. He might be the best contract on my team. It depends on what happens on that top line in Tampa Bay. So, Vorlamov probably out the door in the next two to three years. But that doesn't mean I have to keep him. I can find a younger goalie that I can keep that will be better now, but worse later for me. So, who knows? Next, I have Trevor Moore. He is 28 years old. He plays for the LA Kings. He has good potential value on this team. He will start on the third wing with Philip Denault, who is on the second wing, and also the young prospect Arthur Kellyev. If Byfield falls out of favor on the top line, Fiala or Dubois could get moved up, Artvidsson could get moved up, any of them could to play the left wing. Trevor Moore would therefore move up into the second wing and into a much more advantageous position. Moore only played in 59 games last year and averaged just a shade under half a point per game. It like the the, the sky's the limit on this guy. But he could be a bad contract. I don't know yet. 4 million dollars for a third line winger is a little rich for me. But then again, I come from the old days when the cap was like, you know, under 80 million dollars. So, spending 4 million dollars 4 million dollars on a player is a little much, but that's just me. But because he's on the back end of the roster, you know, maybe he's one of the guys that gets dropped and I'll take Kent Johnson instead. On that, in the rookie draft, let him play center, left wing, right wing for the Blue Jackets, and it turned into a balling player. Or I could take Kuzmenko and literally replace him immediately. Take Kuzmenko instead of Trevor Moore, pay a little bit more right now, get like a player 10 times better. So we'll see. Now let's round out the team. There's Dylan DeMello in the 20th round, 30 years old, playing for Winnipeg. He's a depth piece. $3 million. If I drop him, that's fine. He will get replaced by a rookie that is making $900,000. That's all right. Nothing special there. He's got peripheral potential out of Winnipeg. Um, Matthew Benning, cheap guy out of San Jose. Uh, Normally, you don't want to take depth pieces. Benning has also been mentioned in the potential role of top defensive player. That's fine. Benning has enough peripheral stats that he will survive on my team. $1.2 million for an NH player, NHL player. It's extremely cheap. And for three years, I'll take it. If he turns into trash, he'll be worth trash. But he would literally have to die for me not to, not to use him in my lineup. Then in round 22, I have Brendan Dillon. Also out of Winnipeg. Another depth piece. 3.9 million only for this year. Like I said, I built this team that if it doesn't work out this year, I don't have to worry about not getting players. I can just replace them next year. Which means I probably need to go D-heavy in my prospect draft. So, that would mean players like... Oh, come on. Here we go. That would mean players like Jake Sanderson gets picked. Luke Hughes gets picked. Owen Power, I could go in and take all the Colorado defense and take Bowen Byron, like David Juracek out of Columbus. David Juracek is one of the players I'm actually looking forward to picking. In fact, if Jensen and Wallstadt, the goalie out of Minnesota, don't fall to me, then congratulations. David Juracek becomes my guy. I mean, Luke Hughes could be my guy and therefore be the top D person in like three years, when Dougie Hamilton, you know, doesn't perform at the top level anymore, who knows? Or I could take Owen Power, who's hemmed in by Rosmus Dalin. <laughs> take Caden Goulian, Arbor, They're held back by Mike Matheson. Um, it's just like I've I, I've got options, and I'm not too worried about it. So now I'm on to. Bench players that will get cut. I talked about Blake Coleman, four years at 9. 4, 4 years at $4.9 million. 31 years old. He shoots a lot. That's what he's been known for. He doesn't score a lot. He doesn't put up good peripheral stats. He just shoots. This guy averaged over 2.5 shots per game last year, and there were stretches where he was averaging over 3 shots per game. But if he drops down to 2, and doesn't pick up any of his peripherals, he is literally trash, which therefore means he's probably the top guy that's going to get cut for my team. I will be honest. Voracek will either go on IR and then retire after this year, and his contract will end. And then Coleman I can drop. There will be two available slots for players immediately on my team. Um, but yeah, I picked him just because he has... Value because of shots on goal. He just can't get the rest of his shit together. And at round 23 of 26, now you're looking at people that have potential, but didn't make the cut for some reason. Maybe they're probably going to get demoted because they get passed up by a prospect on their team. Or maybe they don't make it because they get injured. Something. But this is a player I will drop. I took him at a, ch- a chance, but I also found someone later that I like a little bit better. In fact, I found two players later that I like a little bit better. Colton Sissons in round 24. He's 29 years old, plays in Nashville. Last year, he showed that he could play up the depth chart. As of right now, Cap Friendly has Colton Sissons, I believe, as the third line. Yes, I will support you sometime later. He is supposed to be the second line right wing. Not a bad spot. I like him. I think he, he he scored 30 points last year in 82 games, which is really cool. But unfortunate because like half the team got injured. But that half of the team got traded. So Sissens could put up fifty points this year. But that would be a stretch. I don't think so. I think he is more likely to get forty points because there's a lot of questions coming in. Cody Glass is going to center the second line. Gustav Nyquist, after he bounced around a little from after Columbus, is in theory going to be starting left wing, but he only played fifty games last year and averaged only half a point per game. If sessions works, then cool. Sneaky fifty point potential. Probably not probably going to end up at 40 points and second line power play. Or second second power play unit. So, I'm, you know, not too hot on Cisions. Like, he might be worth it because it's only $2.85 million. But at three years and 29 years old, you know, he might be worth it in the individual years to hold as a back-end roster player. But he might get cut as well. He might be the most valuable guy left. Vladar is dependent entirely on Markstrom. And then there's also Dustin Wolf that's waiting in the wings over there. There was talk that they would move Markstrom out and run Vladar and Wolf. And if that's the case, then I will definitely take Vladar. But if Markstrom does well this year, Markstrom's going to hit 65 starts. Even at 60 starts, Vladar might only get 20 cap. This is not Varlamov. This is like, if Lodar doesn't take this, he will get shipped out and be a backup somewhere. And therefore, he will have less value than Varlamov. Because at least Varlamov will retire and his contract will end. Vladar will just sit there at 2.2, but he's only at 2.2 for two years. So that covers round 24 and 25. And like I said at the beginning, Jacob Voracek from Arizona... It just, I took him to take a pick at the end. I didn't take a pick to make a team. I took a pick to, to round out a roster. So my bench right now is Colton Sessions, Trevor Moore, Blake Coleman, Jacob Borachek, and Brandon Dillon. <clears throat> Each of these guys, serious problems. Um, Ferraro isn't projected to do a lot. He's normally a defensive player, but like I said, there was a lot of talk about trying to turn him into QB1 on the power play. Benning is only on my team because he's only making 1.2 million. If he had been another 5 million defensive player, then I probably would have dropped him. But like I said, I got two Colorado D. I've got two San Jose D. I've got three Winnipeg D. Three. And he's not even the top Winnipeg D with uh, Morrissey. I have like the third, fourth, and fifth. Let me look at that. I have the... Oh, they're saying DeMello is going to play top-line pairing with Marcy. I guess DeMello is going to be the pair. Sweet. So I've got the 2-3-4 and four guy in Winnipeg. Maybe it's not so bad then. But Dylan might be able to move him. We'll, we'll see what happens. And then I'm much, much more a Neil Pionk guy. Maybe I move Pionk instead because million, but we'll we'll see what happens. Dylan is 32 years old. Dylan, I'm not going to keep after this $3.9 million contract. If he comes back at three, I might keep him. Otherwise, 33 years old, unless he has high defensive stats, probably not going to pull him back. So, that's my team. Uh, I've got a spreadsheet. shows me total salary every year for the next five years. I've got Average salary number for the next five years. I have the salary cap this year, a projected cap for next year, and a projected cap for 25-26. And then I believe the media rights are up, and they're supposed to re-sign a new contract in the 26-27 offseason. That number might go up a lot. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe Boldy at $7 million will be a pittance. Or Hegel at six point five will be a look decent. Maybe Heyman holds on at five point five is not trash for a third line guy. Tage Thompson with two years left could be one of the best deals in the league. Who knows? But that's my major league roster right now, and I'm looking forward to this rookie draft because it literally could go any way or every way. It literally could go everywhere. Um. I I will figure out what's going on. I'm still waiting for pick number six to roll off the chart. He has got six hours left on his slow draft timer. We have eight-hour timers in here. In the main draft, we averaged about 38 and a half minutes per pick, or 35 and a half minutes per pick, and that includes players overnight. We have four players from Slovakia playing. Their English isn't too bad. At least the guy that's commissioning the league is from Slovakia, and his English is pretty good. Um, it's just there. This one is so much more wide open, and the other league it was pretty simple. You're young and cheap. You go early. If you're super talented, you justify your contract and you go early. And then later in the draft, you find value plays. You you don't you're not going to do a lot, but you're dollar poor. Per point is low relative to other players. So I will take you over a guy at twice your your salary, but only 40% more productive. So, you know, you make calls like that. So we'll see what happens, and I will give an update on this. I'll probably give like three more updates on this stupid team. It only took us two weeks to draft last time. We started not this past Sunday, but the previous Sunday on the 13th. It was really slow for the first day, and then it, like, really picked up steam during the week. So I figure before I go on my vacation here in two weeks, this should be done. Because we're looking at 20 rounds, not 26. And toward the back end of the draft, you're just like, him. Or him. Or him. Like, I'll have to do some, like, major fucking research at the end. I will literally have to worry about, am I going to take a guy I don't know? Or am I going to take a guy that's going to be in the NHL bumper roster spot and have to eat some cash? So we'll see what happens. It was good talking this morning. James, I do appreciate the feedback last night. Um, I, I will try and make this cleaner and better. I tried to have some more stats ready, some better stats ready. And I'm certain you, you can tell where the ADHD everyone came in. <laughs> so... Y'all have a great day, and I will give you an update on Sunday as to how my fantasy hockey teams are going. Thank you.